Well, if you're with us last week, you remember that we kind of set out this journey for these few weeks saying, hey, you and I, we were meant for transformation. And in fact, if we're in this whole, hey, let's follow Jesus thing, and we're not in it for total transformation, we're going to miss what God has for us. And we decided that, hey, even here at the harbor, right, we say we're a haven for the broken, and we are a launch to the nations. And you should be involved in both of these, right? That, hey, you come to us, and you've got your brokenness, or your pain, or your hurt, or your wounding, and you can just know that Jesus wants to heal you. We get that from Isaiah 42, where he says, a bruised reed, a bruised reed, excuse me, a bruised reed, he won't break, and a smoldering wick, he won't snuff out. He wants to cover, protect, and love you, no matter how broken or weak you feel. But the very same people who God is loving on in their brokenness, you and me, he is transforming us into people who are launched into his purposes. And there's nothing more exciting than the purposes of God. Well, what we're going to be doing for these next few weeks then is going through how does God do that? You know, last week we saw a video and um, Rocky and Matt, they shared about how, through what were the means of grace? You know, what are the ways in which God gets us from brokenness to launch? And they mentioned things like faith group, the very video we just saw about college faith groups. And they talked about discipleship and they talked about community and other ways that God transforms us. But today what I want to talk about is what I believe is the number one predictor or the number one means of grace in which someone over the long haul gets transformed from brokenness to being available to be launched into God's purposes. So I want you to open the scripture with me and let's have our ears and eyes open. What is the number one way in which God transforms people? What is the number one way in which he changes us? And I want you to open with me to Mark 1, 35 to start. And then we'll name this predictor in a moment. But I want you to get the picture here. This is Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Early on in Jesus' ministry, he's actually had a crazy time of ministering. And uh, the context before just notes how just seen a lot of people healed and delivered and Jesus was kind of going all out. And then we get to this, this little zinger here in Mark 1.35. It says, very early in the morning. And mind you, this isn't like Jesus had seven days of vacation and now he can get up early. But this is after an incredible day of ministry. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up left the house and went off to a solitary place, the Greek says a lonely place, where he prayed. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. It seems as though Jesus had a rhythm of meeting with his father in the morning. And I want to look at another set of scriptures. We just let that sink in. You know how I know it's a rhythm? Because of some of the other clues that the Gospels give us about Jesus' life and his rhythms. So turn with me now to Luke 11.1. Turn with me now to Luke 11.1. Because the disciples, they had the privilege. They had the privilege of watching Jesus live his life day to day. And finally, as we're about to see in Luke 11.1, 1, they got a clue about, hey, what is the source of Jesus' power? What is this rhythm that he keeps? And Lord, Master, Disciple, will you tell us about it? 
This is what we see happening in Luke 11.1. Luke 11.1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. In other words, I get the feeling again, this is a regular rhythm for Jesus. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. In other words, I get the idea, and I wish I could have been there. I wish I, I, wish I knew which disciple it was. But one of these disciples kind of clued in and said, Wow, we've been walking with this guy who's walking in so much of the grace and the power of God. You know, the, the Gospels say that he spoke with authority. And one of them finally clued in and said, Hey, I'm getting, a, I'm getting a vibe of where you're getting your authority from. How do you do it? Tell us how to do it. And then we just go to the Matthew version of this event to see some of the things that Jesus said. So now turn with you to Matthew 6. Matthew 6, 6. Turn back to Matthew 6, 6. And Jesus gives us a little clue of what's going on in his heart. His mind, his rhythms. So this, this question has just been asked, and Jesus begins to explain, well, hey, here's some of the ins and outs of how I spend time with my Father, how I get face time with my Father. This is how it works. And in there, he drops this zinger. Matthew 6, 6, a little practical. But when you pray, so notice right there that Jesus has kind of already got the assumption that, hey, you guys are disciples, you know, you're following me, um, you, you are followers of God, and I just assume that there's a rhythm of prayer in your life. And Jesus says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Everyone say reward. Okay, God wants to reward you, and part of that reward comes in your discipline in seeking Him. So, as we are talking about transformation here, God wants to heal your brokenness. He wants to launch you into His purposes probably more than you can ever realize. I will say, and let me just say this, I, I showed up 20 years ago to Baylor University as a college freshman having a very similar message to this one preached to me. And 20 years later down the road, what I see is, I see people who make it into maturity, and I, say, and I see, on the other hand, people who wallow in kind of immaturity and don't really grow up in the Lord. And I will say the number one predictor for that is whether a man or a woman settles it in their life and their rhythm to get regular time, regular face time with God. It's not legalism, and I'm going to explain that to you shortly why it's not legalism, but it's a life-giving discipline that you can tune into it. And if I can actually use that example right now, as far as this whole spending time with the Lord and getting a discipline or a rhythm of this means of grace where you get time with Him regularly, preferably daily, the best example I can do is this, and that is there is a radio station, Heaven 101, okay? And that radio station, that signal is coming at you all day, 24-7, saying things like, God likes you, God loves you, you're a daughter of God, you're a son of God, I have plans for your life, and I love you. That's the signal that's being played all the time. The question is, will you and I tune into it? And you spending time with God in the morning on a regular basis is how you get tuned in. You don't tune into that channel to get God's approval. You already have God's approval. That's why Jesus died on the cross, okay? 
you can rest assured that you've got all the love of God and all the approval and, and the joy of the Lord is, is, is towards you. God loves you. That's not in question. But the reason that you, the reason that I spend time with God in the morning is so I can tune in to that truth 101. Because if I don't tune into truth 101, I'm getting all the lies sent at me all day by my own self, my own feelings, by the culture, by all sorts of things, sending me different messages. So I have to tune in to this heaven 101, truth 101. And I do it by a regular rhythm of prayer and Bible study. And I will repeat, it is the number one predictor on whether you will be transformed by the grace of God. God's grace is there, ready to transform, but will you tune in? Amen? Amen. So, I <laughs> just want to push back some of the condemnation now. <laughs> and uh, how I'm going to do that is, I, um, I want to just share with you, I guess the best word is paradigm or, or, or um, <clears throat> a framework, but I'm just going to ask through this message that you just do something for me. And that when I say the words, consistent FaceTime, I want you to answer back to me with equals total transformation time. Can we try that? Is it up there on the screen? Okay, here we go. Consistent FaceTime. So lame. You're putting me to sleep, okay? I'm bored. Stop that, okay? Consistent FaceTime. And you just get ready because anytime I say consistent FaceTime, I want to hear that, okay? Because anytime that you get FaceTime with God, that's you getting transformed by God. Even if it doesn't feel like fireworks, there are fireworks going off, okay? Consistent FaceTime. Thank you. So I'm going to start with the first framework, the first paradigm that I have for understanding this. And I'm just going to call it delight. Everyone say delight. Okay, because this is really the paradigm that I know. And what I mean is, is that I'm just going to tell you a little bit of my story. You know, I, um, I made a profession of faith in Christ when I was 10 years old as a fourth grader. And even as early as that, I had this, wasn't a regular rhythm, but it was just God working on my life. And I would kneel down on my bed and I had a little uh, card that I gotten from Sunday school of the Ten Commandments. I had a little card of the Beatitudes which is like, blessed are the poor in spirit, for there's the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 5. I had a little prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. Maybe you know that prayer. Um, uh, yeah, Lord, um, <laughs> I want to forgive as you forgive, blah, blah, all that good stuff. Powerful. And um, <laughs> it really is. And then I just, being the little artist that I was, I actually just drew a picture of the interior of our church, and I set it up, and I set these things on my bedside. And I would just repeat these things. No one taught me how to do it, but I just did it because God was working in my life and he's trying to get the fear of the Lord in me. And I just thank God for that because that was always a fun time. I knew that I could meet with God. In high school, I had the same kind of idea. I knew it was better for me. I knew that my day went better when I would meet with God by reading the Bible and by praying to him, simply talking to him as I would talk with a friend. And then as I mentioned before, when I showed up 20 years ago in fall of 1991 at Baylor University, I had Jimmy Seibert, who's kind of the pastor of our, not kind of, he really is the pastor of our grandparent church. He just gave this some, same sort of message, which is, hey guys, settle this now, spend time with Jesus on a regular basis. And I just said, yes, that's what I want. And there is a delight in my heart. And the delight was, I think because I had some of that Matthew 5 going on, in other words, because I did feel my own poverty of spirit, I just said, yes, I want to meet with Jesus in the morning. And so I just have to say that for me, this has never been a difficult discipline. 
It's been a joy and it's been a delight because I love meeting with Jesus because I've got someone I can talk to and I know that he hears me because I want to tune into Heaven 101 because I'm trying to push back all the darkness and I want to hear the truth about who I am and who God is and I need it every day. And I just want, if there's something that can be transferred in the Spirit today, it would be that, is just learn to delight yourself in the Lord. Learn to delight yourself in His presence because it's what He has wanted from you for the beginning. You know how I know that? I know that because when I read my Bible, I see God meeting with people face to face. When it starts in the garden with Genesis, we see God and Adam and Eve speaking. And so when they fall and God cries, where are you, Adam? He's not crying like, oh God, I can't find you geographically, guys. God knows where Adam and Eve is, but he's crying out because the relationship is broken. And what God wanted from the beginning is just relationship with you and me. It's what he's longing for. And then we get to the people of Israel and the tabernacle. You know, God said, hey, I want you to set up our meeting place like this. And isn't it awesome that where was the place that God wanted to meet with his people from? In other words, now, because of the fall, he could only speak kind of to one, or he was just going to speak to kind of the priests and Moses and Aaron, but he would speak to them from where? From which piece of furniture in the tabernacle? Come on, I know we got some Gordon, Gordon Conwell people in here. <clears throat> Yes, who sang it? I bless you. The ark, specifically, what's that top of the ark where the two angels doing this? Yeah, the seat of mercy. The seat of mercy. God wants to speak to you from the seat of mercy. I need mercy every day. So when I get up in the morning, I say, Jesus, meet with me and thank you that your heart is to talk to me from the seat of mercy, not the seat of judgment and condemnation. Okay, God wants to meet with you from the seat of mercy. We go on in the history of Israel and we see the psalmist, like Psalm 16, it says, joy is in your presence, O Lord. It says, in your presence is fullness of joy. I don't think he's just being poetic. I think the psalmist really found that his best place of joy is in the presence of the Lord. I remember also as a college student, I wrote a cheesy song that I will spare you by not playing it on the guitar right now. But the chorus went like this. <laughs> it just went... Um, kind of like folksy and I was like it's just the, the course was I belong worshiping you I said Lord I belong worshiping you I belong worshiping you blah 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 and then, you know I had this little almost nightclub jazzy feel but the sentiment that was coming out in this song was Lord really my favorite place to be is in your presence because I can be myself and you don't make fun of me <laughs> you know I can just pour out my heart and you hear me and you receive me and you love me and it really is my favorite place. And there is a, Kelsey gave me a book called Homesick by some artists. Who are they? Yeah, the, the band Mercy Me, they gave a, Kelsey gave me a book called Homesick. You know, the idea being that, oh, I just can't wait to be in heaven. You know, I'm not suicidal, but I just can't wait to be in heaven because I'll finally be all that God has created me to be. And that's why I meet with Jesus in the morning because I get that same vibe. Okay? Thank you, Lord. God wants to meet with you. He wants to be your friend. That's not just, um, yes, he is totally awesome. And yes, we need reverence and we need the fear of the Lord. There's no doubt about that. But remember, the same holy God was the God who invited Moses to speak to him as a friend speaks face to face. And now that invitation, praise God, is open to you every day. It's silly that we don't take it. In fact, one guy said, Jesus went to the cross more willingly than we go to the throne of grace. Isn't that powerful? 
guy named, I think, Thompson, I forgot. Is, he said, Christ went to the cross more willingly than we go to the throne of grace. We got the throne of grace to go to. We need to get to it. So, like we have the Tozer quote up there, I believe, right? This is what Tozer says. And this is my heart when I meet with God. It says, I want the presence of God himself, right? I, in other words, I need the manifest presence of God. I have to connect emotionally with God in the day. Because I'm an emotional person, you know, some people might think, well, that's just your deal. I don't know about you, but I walk through my day and things affect me. Someone says something, I feel rejection. Someone does something, I feel comparison. Something happens, I feel anger, right? I live in an emotional body and soul. And so if I just connect with God purely academically, then I've missed his presence. I have to meet with him and there has to be an emotional connect there. And as far as how you do that, I'm going to leave that to your faith group leaders to sort out, okay? The, the scope of the thing today is just to inspire you a little. But seriously, I know that, so to speak, I hate this expression, but the devil is in the details. I realize that some of you don't meet with God because you need the practicals. And I'll just say to that, um, you know what we'll do is we'll have a practical sheet for you next week. I'll have a practical booklet for you, but also you get to faith group. You talk to your faith group leaders about how do you spend time with God if the hang-up for you is the practical. But like Tozer here said, he's a Methodist pastor in the 20th century. He said, I want the presence of God himself, or I don't want anything at all to do with religion. I want all that God has, or I don't want any. And that's my heart. I meet with God because I have to have his presence. That should be yours too. Amen? Consistent FaceTime. Okay, delight. I hope that you delight yourself in the Lord. I hope that you find meeting with Jesus to be a delight. It really is the place of the best delight. The second kind of framework or paradigm that I want to mention to you is one that I'll just um, call exposure. And I've kind of already alluded to it. Everyone say exposure. Consistent FaceTime. Thank you. Exposure. Let me just give you an example. You saw my son JD here selfishly holding on to the rabbit because it's his, but whatever. So hopefully he will be transformed and become generous. That's our, that's our job as parents is to make him a generous heart. Now let's say if I just said, you know what? Raising JD is a little bit hard. Honey, um, let's just, why don't we just put him in front of the TV for about six to eight hours a day from now until he's 12? I think that's good parenting. If I said that to you, of course, you'd say, hey, let's get DCF on the phone, right? Department of Children and Families now. Let's get, we got a few employees here. Let's get DCF. Let's, let's take this child away from these, these crazy parents that are saying they just want to sit JD in front of the TV, right? So my point is this, right? With an example as, as crazy as that, you know, it matters what we are exposed to. It matters what our souls get exposed to. And as I've mentioned earlier, we've got messages coming at us all the time. And so even just as purely as a matter of exposure, I want to expose myself to the Word of God regularly. I need a diet of the Word of God to counter all the junk that's coming at me from my own flesh and from the world and from the devil. Okay? I just want to say sometimes thoughts pop into our minds and it's not just your flesh, it's not just the world. Sometimes it is the devil. And we need to learn how to take those thoughts captive. And if I'm going to take those thoughts captive, then I need to have a reservoir of the Word of God in my heart. Proverbs says this, and I'll just use a little King James if you don't mind. It says, as a man thinketh, so he is. 
All right? So as a man thinks, so he is. So my thought life matters, and I need to get my thought life informed by the Word of God. So it matters what I expose myself to on a daily basis. The book of Hebrews, which we'll look at a little bit later in this semester, says the Word of God is what? It's sharp. It's like a double-edged sword. It's sharp. It's active. It divides soul and spirit, bone and marrow. In other words, the Word of God is effective. And you need to know that because when, like me, I show up at 6.30 in the morning in my little front room, and I'm a little bit, sorry, I'm a little bit foggy and uh, reading the word feels like it's not doing anything to me. By faith, I'm going to believe Hebrews over my own feelings of fogginess and tiredness and fatigue and just go, God, even though I feel like I'm not, you know, the psalm isn't really hitting me yet right now, I'm just trusting you the word of God is going to do something in me today. Amen? So as a man thinketh, so he is. Consistent FaceTime. And so I need to get transformed by understanding who is God and who am I. And that really is the journey of your life, understanding who God is and who you are. And just so you know, that's not just for beginning Christians. Some of you may know the guy named, now he goes by David Youngie Cho. He was called Paul Youngie Cho. But he pastors what is arguably the largest, most productive church on the face of the earth ever in Seoul, South Korea. I mean, this thing, this church has multiplied so many times, and we're talking in thousands and hundreds of thousands, and I mean, I'm, I don't know if I'd be exaggerating by saying millions, but there is something special going on there. So fact one that blows my mind away is this man who administratively is over so much, he usually still spends kind of 6 a.m. to noon in prayer. Okay, he doesn't do an administrative thing before noon, or at least that was a, a habit of his life the last time I kind of checked into his lifestyle. But you know what's interesting about that prayer time? You'd think with so much going on and so much that he has to run, you'd think that his prayer time might be just interceding for this church, that leader, that person, this ministry, boo, boo, boo. But it's not. The majority of his prayer time is doing the very thing that I just said, which is getting, meditating on who he is and who God is. So like pulling out John 1 and just saying, okay, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God, right? Psalm 103, just a great place of who God is. Psalm 139, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Just getting these truths in Him, all right? Super productive man in the church today. And this man still spends a huge chunk of his time tuning into Heaven 101, making sure he's got it clear, exposing himself to Heaven 101, getting clear, This is who I am, and this is who God is, right? Otherwise, he can't make it. And neither can you and I, for sure. Amen? Listen to some of these good ones. Let's go go backwards through the centuries. A few quotes here. C.S. Lewis, you might know him, 20th century, British guy. And he's going to make a little plug for the morning, which I would agree with. It's not law, it's not legalism, but there is some wisdom here. He says this, The moment you wake up each morning, all your wishes and hopes for the day, rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists in shoving it all back and instead in listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other, larger, stronger, but quieter life come flowing in. Is there an amen to this? Amen? Are you, are you, are you hearing what he's saying? Listen, some of you guys think I'm holy because I keep a journal, but can I tell you what's really in my journal? What's really in my journal is a bunch of to-do lists because of this dynamic. 
when I meet with Jesus, the whole day starts flooding in. And if I don't write down all the to-dos and get them on paper, then I can't focus on Jesus. So my journal is kind of sad as far as a spiritual, you know, let's say a thousand years from now, they decide to publish my journal. It's going to be like, call John, you know, email Jenna, contact IRS, you know, don't forget. Holy stuff, you know. But if I don't get that stuff on paper, then I have a hard time connecting emotionally with God in the morning. So I think C.S. Lewis, we can listen to him. 300 years earlier, another British guy, John Bunyan, he says, he who runs from God in the morning will scarcely find him the rest of the day. Ooh. Ooh. (laughs) He who runs from God in the morning will scarcely find him the rest of the day. Again, it's not legalism. You know, yesterday... I got up early with JD so Kelsey could sleep in. So not till JD had a nap. It wasn't about till one o'clock in the afternoon that I finally got to get my time with the Lord. And it's not the same. You know, morning really is a precious time, but there's wisdom for doing it in the morning. And I'll be honest also, for five years I was a high school teacher having to be showing up at 7.30 in the morning and I had a real hard time making quiet time work for me then. So I understand that there's real pressures on your life and uh, but, there, but, but what I am after today is a heart attitude of realizing you need to somehow get some consistent FaceTime so that that can happen, okay? And Martin Luther, I think he's the one we have up there. He says, if I should neglect prayer but a single day, I should lose a great deal of the fire of faith. And I'm right there. I need the fire of God, so I have to emotionally connect with him day to day through his word, through prayer. I don't want to lose the fire of God. Amen? Consistent FaceTime? That's how you're going to get transformed, okay? It's not a grace issue. In other words, you are accepted in the beloved, but it's whether you will mature or not. That is, whether you will remain a carnal Christian or whether you became a mature believer does depend on your response in this way. The final paradigm or the final framework I want to give is one that really has started to occur to me lately. In other words, for most of the last 20 years of my life, I've lived in these two paradigms, meaning I just delight myself in the presence of the Lord, and there's a little battle part where I need to uh, expose myself to God because of the battle of my soul. But this paradigm has presented to its, itself to me lately, and I'll just call it the in- inheritance paradigm. So everyone say inheritance. All right. So I love walking with you guys, and you guys are lot of you professionals and in all of your professions there are examinations there are tests that you have to take right or there's materials that you get yourself familiar with my wife she is a mom and so before she gave birth she she got herself uh, familiar with the whole system called bradley and kelsey's always reading about how to you know how do we discipline our kids and she's just training herself and the duty that god's given her right now If you're going to be a certified financial planner, a CFP, you need to take a series of exams. If you're an insurance agent, you take a series of exams. If you're a lawyer, you've got to pass the bar in your state. If you're a teacher in mass, you've got to pass MTEL, right? Every profession has its thing, its preparation, and its test so so you can be admitted to that group of professionals or whatever. And it just kind of occurred to me recently that God is preparing me as he's preparing you for eternal service and eternal administration of his kingdom. The New Testament is very clear about you and I being co-heirs with Christ. That's an amazing thing. That's like President Obama calling you up and saying, hey, will you please be in my cabinet today? I want you to help run things. Okay? 
but about a million times better. <laughs> because Jesus Christ, he wants to share with you the administration of his life and his kingdom. I can't really tell you exactly what that's going to look like. We get some clues from the book of Revelation. We get some clues from Paul's letters and the other letters in the New Testament. But what I know for sure is that Jesus, he is sharing with us everything that's on his heart. He says we will get to rule the nations with him. Okay? Again, I don't know exactly what it looks like, but I got to believe that the God who is full of delight and delights in me and delights in you has created your personality and your desires, that he's going to give you something really wonderful to run in his big show. But it occurred to me that I want to pass that test, or I want to get ready for all that God has for me. And so that's why I want to meet with Jesus in the morning. Because little by little, in this life, and then passing right into the next, you know, kind of like Enoch, in Genesis, Enoch walked with God, then he was no more, presumably because their fellowship was so wonderful that he just passed right in, he didn't even die. So same idea, in this life and passing right into the next, I'm just increasing in all that God wants me to do and be. And let me say this, it has nothing to do with the fact that I'm a pastor, okay? If you are sitting here and you are like the people who are going to show up at my house tomorrow morning, Monday morning, the guys who take our recycling and trash show up. And that might be your job. And I say, praise God. And I say, if you feel called by God and you're in your profession or your situation in life and you're doing what God's called you to do and you have the fear of the Lord and you are increasing in the knowledge of Him and the grace of God, it doesn't matter what you're doing. God wants to give you more and more of what He's doing. Do you know what I'm saying? Is that making sense? I feel like what, what I'm trying to say is your externals don't matter. God's working on the internals. And he's working on those internals because he wants to, he is, he is conferring a kingdom on us, okay? He is conferring a kingdom on us. He's sharing the kingdom of God. And it starts now and then right into eternity. So that's motivating for me. I say, Lord, show me who you are. You know, like in Psalm 103, it says that God showed his acts to the people of Israel, but he showed his ways to Moses. And that motivates me. I say, yes, Lord, show me your ways. I don't want to just know the externals, but show me your ways, Right? Or in places in the Psalms, it says, The secrets of the Lord belong to those who fear Him. Or it says, He will counsel you with His eye upon you. Or like, I think we got Jeremiah 33 up there. Oh, that's one of my favorite. This one's been burning in me lately. And he just says, Hey, God says, Call to me, and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. I say, Yes, Lord, tell me your secrets, because you're letting me be a co-heir in your kingdom, and I want to be ready with all the knowledge and all the wisdom, and I want my character to be transformed so I can handle all the anointing you want to give. Amen? So all that to say, consistent FaceTime. All right, you want to be being transformed. You want to handle all that God wants to give to you in his kingdom, because you are a co-heir. If you're, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, you are a co-heir with Jesus in his kingdom. Amen? Amen. Well, I'm going to ask the band to come on up, and we're just going to take a little inventory time here. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and help us. Can I just say, I woke up this morning, and the first thought that came into my mind was, I just felt like God said, the Holy Spirit wants to help you today. <laughs> it doesn't happen to me that often. Usually I have carnal thoughts, or I'm racing, my mind's racing, but God deposited this thing in the morning. I said, God wants to help you today, Neil. I said, praise God. So I just want to pass it on to you. God wants to help us today. And specifically, he wants to help you 
create this means of grace, you know? Create your way of connecting with God. He wants that. And so I just, even right now, you just, um, you know, let the Lord kind of invade your space, invade your mind. And uh, just, I want you to think back to Labor Day Monday, okay? Let me say, this is not an exercise in condemnation, but it is an exercise, and let's get real and let's get practical. So just think of your Monday, Labor Day. What did you do? What did your devotional life, if any, look like at that time? What was it like? And think to your Tuesday. Were you able to connect with God in any kind of set-apart time? Yes, we need to abide in Him, but abiding gets way easier if you have a little lunch time with Him in the morning. Lunch, not lunch. Think about your Wednesday. Were you able to meet with Him in the morning or sometime in the day? Think about your Thursday. What was that day like? Were you able to meet with Him? What about your Friday and your Saturday? And then lastly, what about today? You know, I have a dream that there'll be a day when everyone who comes to church will have come having spent time with God because let me tell you, then we will have church. All right? Don't think that, hey, just because it's Sunday, you don't need to meet with God. Man, you need to. And actually, just church gets a lot more fun when this room gets filled with people who've already connected with God and are, got the Word of God in them, and it's powerful. That's what we're after here. So, I'm going to, we're about to wait on the Lord and just say, hey, Lord, what do you want my devotional life to look like? But before we do that, I want to restate something, and that is that this is not an exercise in condemnation. You do not meet with the Lord to earn His love. You have His love, you have His favor, you have the joy of the Lord over your life but you meet with Him so that you can become mature. Okay? All right. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you in. And Holy Spirit, we're just asking, will you please speak an invitation to each one of us? What should our time with the Lord look like? Where is the quiet, solitary place we need to go? Help us find one. Some of us need a place so we don't even know where to go. What is the rhythm we should have of reading the Bible and praying? Lord, speak to us. Because what matters is that we obey you in your voice. Not that our quiet time looks like David Youngie chose or Pastor John's. We need to have our own way of meeting with you. And we need to have it be a a love response to God. So Holy Spirit, you start to work out our problems. Work out our, our time dilemmas. Work out the places in our hearts where we resist. Work out the lie where it's been boring in the past or it's not worked in the past. Lord, we just declare on that one that the problem is us and not you. You're the most exciting being in the universe. Jesus Christ. No one else I'd rather be around. Holy Spirit, speak to us the invitation we need to meet with you regularly. Make it delightful to us. Oh God, make it delightful. I pray that everyone in this room would be able to say with the psalmist that in your presence and only in your presence is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy.
Thank you, Lord. Hey, what gets me excited about us being a people who has a regular rhythm, are meeting with Jesus regularly is, in the book of Daniel, um, I think it's the New American Standard Version that says it this way, but it says that the people of God, or says the people who know their God will display strength and take action. So there's something about us knowing God. If we will know God, we'll be able to display strength and take action when it is called for. And on that note, I called to mind a message that just got kind of recycled by, it's a message by David Wilkerson. David Wilkerson, as you know, pastored um, Times Square Church and he started a massive movement called World Challenge and he passed away in April. But he has a message called a Joseph Generation. And he's calling us a Joseph generation. And it's Joseph and that it's hidden. And when you think about the story of Joseph, you remember that from age 17 when Joseph was slowed, uh, sold into slavery up till 30 when he ended up kind of number two in Egypt, there was 13 years of him really being hidden and being in great trial and great difficulty. But then God was shaping him. So he was hidden as far as Palestine, Israel and his brothers were concerned, totally hidden from them. But then when history called on him, he was ready to go because he had been being transformed. He found God in prison. He found God in the trial. That's why I started meeting with Jesus because I needed to find God in the trial. And so that's what God's doing right here. We are a Joseph generation. Can you feel the pressure of history coming? I mean, even as on this 10th anniversary of September 11th, things are getting crazy on the earth. And the question is, where's the church? Where's the church? And you and I get to answer that question by doing the tortoise and the hare thing, okay? The tortoise thing, just day by day, spend time with Jesus. No one's looking, it might not feel glorious, but day by day, you're just meeting with Jesus. Slow and steady wins the race. That's what God's calling us to. That's how we become the Joseph generation that David Wilkerson prophesied about before his death. Amen? You guys stand. So Lord, I'm praying right now that we would be a people who know our God so we can display strength and take action at the right time. Lord, I'm praying that you'd come on us with a spirit of hunger for God and hunger for the manifest presence of God. And I pray that you'd make this means of grace just that, a means of grace, not a means of condemnation but a means of grace. God, pour out your grace on your people. Grace to know you, seek you. It's what you prophesied about in Jeremiah when you said, everyone will know the Lord. From great to small, everyone will know the Lord. But there will be no need to say to our neighbor, hey, you need to know the Lord. Because everyone himself, herself, will know the Lord. Oh God, let that be said about us. We ask in Jesus' name.